won't be here that long. <laughs> Good morning. Great to see everyone here today. We have uh, visitors from several places, and we're delighted that you're here. We even have some folks visiting with us from Texas. Waiting for the applause. Yeah, but, <laughs> all right. And uh, we're, but we're happy to have all of you here uh, today. Some of the, some of our visitors are here because of uh, uh, the Mullen wedding over the weekend, and that was a, a beautiful occasion. And uh, we rejoice with Jenna and Michael and with all their family uh, in the beginning of their life together. Uh, as many of you know, this uh, past week, Linda and Kurt paid a visit to Carl and Gwen Childress. And uh, Gwen sent back this note that she's asked me to read, so I want to do that as I begin. Dear Glen Allen family, uh, we thank you with a full and grateful heart for the many kindnesses shown to us as we reluctantly left behind so many precious friends. Your generosity in uh, giving cards and gifts is far more than we deserve. We are truly humbled by every expression of love and fellowship. All of you are in our thoughts and prayers. God bless each of you in the Glen Allen Church. May your light always shine, glorifying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our love, Carl and Gwen. So I knew you'd want to uh, hear from them, and we continue to pray for them uh, as they get adjusted to their new home in uh, Tennessee. As you might have picked up from reading Daniel or hearing the readings from Daniel, it was a tough job being a prophet. I think we think primarily the honor of being chosen to be a spokesman for God. But it was a difficult task to deliver his word to his people. First, there was the opposition that prophets always faced from the, the people they came to help. In one of his conflicts with the Pharisees, Jesus made this statement or asked this question, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? Just because a message is true doesn't mean it's always appreciated or accepted. But then also, there was the, in the case of the visionary prophets like Daniel, there was the strain of the visions themselves. It wasn't easy to see and hear these things. Daniel talks about, as he sees his visions, about being afraid, about becoming sick, about fainting, about being in pain, about being left in a weakened condition by the impact of the things that he saw and heard. Sometimes it's hard to be the one who knows the truth about the future. In Daniel chapter 10, what we have is actually the first part of Daniel's last vision of the book. And it's a vision that left him weak and helpless. So in chapter 10, we have the vision itself. In chapter 11, the explanation of the vision. And then in chapter 12, a summary of that vision and a personal message to Daniel himself. So today we're just going to look at chapter 10 and think about the vision. Notice that Daniel says in verse 2, it happened while he was fasting, mourning, and praying. Now there's a couple of things that make that kind of surprising. Not the praying part, but the fasting in the morning. And the reason that's kind of surprising is that he said he had been mourning and fasting for 21 days and that the vision occurred on the 24th day of the first month. That means that Daniel had fasted and prayed and mourned right through the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. 
And unleavened bread and Passover were not times of mourning. They were times of celebration. So out of step with everybody else, while everybody else was celebrating, Daniel is mourning and he's fasting. Notice also he dates this vision in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, which would have been around 536 B.C., And Cyrus had allowed the Jews to start going back to their homeland in his first year. So it's been a couple of years now that exiles in Babylon have been allowed to go back to their homeland, which is what you remember Daniel had been praying for all along, what he had read about in the book of the prophet Jeremiah and had perceived was almost time. And yet here he is sad. Here he is mourning. Here he is fasting because of this. And so we wonder, what is it that's making him mourn and fast? Well, the text doesn't say, but it may have been because he couldn't go home with the returning exiles. He said he had this vision when he was standing beside the Tigris River, so he's still in Babylon. And maybe he couldn't go back home with them. Maybe he was too old to make the journey. He's in his mid-80s by now. Or maybe his official duties, because he was a court servant, Maybe his official duties did not allow him to, uh, to leave. But I think more likely, Daniel was mourning over the fact that the restoration back in Jerusalem wasn't going all that well. We read in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, some of the prophets who were contemporary with that era, that it didn't go well at all. It didn't go anything like the people expected. The great promises of the restoration had not completely been fulfilled. They had been allowed to go back, yes, but a lot of things still weren't in very good shape. They, they still did not have a descendant of David on the throne as king. In fact, they didn't have a king at all. The rebuilt temple was disappointing compared to the original. In fact, some of the people who were old enough to remember the original actually wept when they saw this new one. It just didn't measure up to what Solomon had built. Some of the people who had been left behind in Jerusalem, not deported, and some foreigners who had been brought in by the Babylonians opposed the work of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city. And so they made it dangerous and they made it difficult for the uh, returning Israelites to do what they had come back to do, and they threatened them. We know that the people were living in poverty. We know there was crop failure. We know that things just were not going well in a material way. And so there was a lot of unrest and there was a lot of spiritual indifference, according to the prophet Malachi. And I suspect that's why Daniel is mourning. All those great prophecies have just not yet been fulfilled. The one about going home has, but nothing else has come to fruition. And so this must have been a huge disappointment to Daniel. So here he is one day standing beside the Tigris River with some other men. And he has this spectacular vision of a heavenly being. Now he says the other men didn't see the vision, but they must have sensed something was going on and it scared them and they ran uh, and hid. I'd like to kind of know what that was, you know, if they didn't see the vision, but something, they sensed something was going on and what they sensed frightened them. And Daniel gives a description of this man that he sees. And if you read the description carefully and compare it to Revelation chapter 1, you'll see it's very, very close to the description of the risen Christ that John has in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. 
And so some say that what Daniel was seeing was an appearance of Christ before the incarnation, before he became Jesus of Nazareth, before he appeared on this earth, that Daniel was being gifted with a pre-incarnate vision of Christ. Others think that this man that he sees, or this human-like figure, <clears throat> is God himself, based, based on the description. But I, I don't think it's either of those. I don't think this is a vision of Christ or of God. For one thing, the description is not exactly like that in Revelation 1. And I think what's intended to, to be said is that this is a divine person without being more specific. Look at verse 11. Uh, this man tells Daniel, I have been sent. I don't know of anybody who sends God, do you? He says, I have been sent. And in verse 12, he suggests that he is a messenger. I've been sent to you with a messenger. And you know what the word angel means is a messenger. So I suspect that's who this is. It's, a, it's an angel. And in verse 13, he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. I'm not sure anybody can withstand God 21 days and delay him. So I don't think that's who this is. I think this is an angelic being. Never identifies himself. One of the questions in the vision is, does Daniel see one man or two or three? Because he doesn't say. He talks about seeing this human-like figure. Then he talks about a hand touching him. He talks about someone touching his lips. But he never says that this is all the same person or not. So we really don't know. That's not clear. What is clear is the significance of the vision. He says, first of all, in verse 1, that this word is true. It's a faithful message. And then he says also that it was a great conflict. It's not a pretty message. In fact, it's kind of a scary message. It's about some things that would have been frightening, I think, to anyone. According to verse 14, it was a message about the future of Daniel's people. He's told Daniel, this is what's going to happen in the latter days. The vision is for days yet to come. Daniel's been given a glimpse, as he was in chapters 7 and 8, of things that were far in the future, things that were going to happen centuries later. He's even allowed a glimpse into eternity. So this vision is for days yet to come. And it was all frightening to him. And why was Daniel being allowed to see this? Again, because he's told in verse 11 and in verse 19, because he was greatly loved. We found that out in the last chapter, didn't we? But once again, he is described, he is spoken to, Daniel, man greatly loved. What a wonderful thing to be able to hear. And although the experience and the message were hard on Daniel, notice how tenderly he is dealt with by this heavenly being. In verse 12, when he fainted, he says a hand, we don't know whose, but a hand touched him and set him on his hands and knees. That's all he could do was just get up on his hands and knees. And then he's told to stand up. And when he couldn't speak, he said someone touched his lips. And we're reminded of Isaiah 6, aren't we? When uh, one of those heavenly beings took a coal from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips. Someone touches his lips so that he can speak. And in verses 17 and 18, when he said, I, I don't have the strength for this. I, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just in too weakened a condition Someone touched him again and strengthened him and said to him, Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. He's told not to be afraid. Another reason that this revelation is given to Daniel is because he was praying 
and fasting. Verse 12, he's told, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. We saw the same thing in chapter 9. As soon as Daniel started praying, God started answering. As soon as he started praying, God started answering. As soon as he started praying for the forgiveness of himself and his people back in chapter 9, forgiveness was pronounced. And as soon as he begins praying to understand what's going on and what's going to happen in the future of his people, this angelic being is sent to give him this message. The only reason that he didn't get an answer sooner, the angelic being says, is that the heavenly messenger was detained by his struggle with somebody he calls the prince of the kingdom of Persia. We'll talk about that later. So that's the vision. The explanation will follow in chapter 11. But what I want us to do right now is to think about what we can learn just from the vision itself. You know, sometimes we read things like this and a book like Daniel, and we think, I, man, I don't get that. There's all that symbolism. There's all those strange figures. I don't know who that is. I don't know how many of them there are. What am I supposed to get from this? This, this is not as comforting as John 3.16, is it? Uh, this is not as easily grasped uh, as the concept that God so loved the world. And so we wonder, is there something here for us to get? And I think there is. There's some very important things. First of all, something we seldom think about, I think, is the spiritual forces that lie behind earthly events. You see this hinted at all through Scripture and then sometimes openly stated. The behind human events, behind what happens in this world, there are spiritual forces at work driving the action. Does it seem to you that the world has gone crazy lately? Okay, if you didn't say yes, you ought to just leave right now because you. <laughs> it reminds me of that sign that I saw once that it said, you know, uh, uh, if, if you're not if you're not uh, upset by what you're saying, you just don't understand the situation. You know, it seems like the world has gone crazy, doesn't it? Uh, today, good is called evil, and evil is called good. Things that people ought to be embarrassed about, they're proud of. Things that we ought to be proud of, we're embarrassed about. Things that need to be said to build people up and strengthen them and point them to God are being silenced. And things that will only tear them down are being spoken loudly. And the only speech that's being protected is the speech that does harm and damage. And somehow the rest of it is too dangerous for people to hear we're witnessing the exaltation of perversion and oppression of righteousness, the promoting of lies, and not the telling of truth. In his commentary on Daniel, Tremper Longman III tells the, the story about anxiously awaiting along with his, his wife. They were waiting for a pregnancy report from the, the clinic at Yale University where he was a graduate student. And this was to be their first child, if she in, indeed was pregnant. And they were waiting for a call from the nurse. And finally the call came, and the nurse said, you are pregnant. And before they could even express their joy, and before the nurse even said congratulations, she said, you're pregnant, you want an abortion. 
That's the world we're living in. You're, you're pregnant. You, obviously, you're, you're probably going to want an abortion, right? And, and why is it that the world is that way? Why is it that we live in a world that's like that? You see, what lies behind all of that evil? And the evil that's done nation against nation. Why is there constant warfare and fighting when everybody knows that there's no real winners? You know who the loser always is in war? It's always humanity. Humanity always loses. Why? Look at Daniel 10. It suggests the answer. Notice that he mentions both the prince of the kingdom of Persia and then down toward the end, just a little sideways mention of the prince of Greece. Who are these princes? Well, if you look at verse 13 and verse 21, it turns out that these are forces who are opposing the work of God's messengers. They are forces that are opposing the, the upbuilding of God's people. They are forces that are opposing the strengthening of God's servants. They are apparently the same spiritual forces that Paul calls the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Evil powers that lie behind human evil, especially those that oppose the people of God. You see, what we're seeing day by day is not just politics, it's not just business, it's not just human activity. What we're seeing is the reality that lies behind all of those corrupting us, corrupting human society in, in ways that are a far cry from what we ought to be. It's a struggle that's ongoing, and sometimes the forces of evil seem to have the upper hand. But the good news is that God and his forces are always at work. And that God assures an ultimate victory for his people. That's the message throughout the book of Daniel, isn't it? But for now, the struggle is real. For now, the struggle is ongoing. And it always will be. Read the 13th chapter of Revelation. There will always be a beast. There will always be a little horn, as Daniel describes it. We will always face that kind of struggle and opposition. Why? Because of the forces that lie behind, that are spiritual in nature. But there's more to it than that. You see, each of us has a role to play in this spiritual warfare. We are not observers. We are foot soldiers. And the reason is because the war is being waged in each of our lives, as well as among the nations. In Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In Romans 7, 21 to 23, Paul said, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. You ever had that experience? You want to do the right thing, you want to say the right thing, you know what, the, what it is, and somehow you end up doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We have a struggle, not only with the external evils all around us, but with the internal evils that dwell within us. And if it were not for the power of God's Spirit, we wouldn't have a prayer. We wouldn't have a possibility of winning. 
And this is important. Don't try to sit out this war. That's what a lot of people think, even a lot of Christians. I'm just going to sit this out. I'm not getting into that. I'm not getting engaged in that struggle. You are in it whether you want to be or not. It's part of following Jesus. It's part of following Jesus. It's necessary to stand up for what's right and to oppose that which is wrong. It's necessary to struggle within. It's necessary to struggle. It's necessary to yield yourself to the leading of God's spirit instead of to the the forces that are within, to the flesh. Don't try to sit out the war. And then the, the third message, I think, of this 11th chapter, God hasn't sent us into battle unarmed. He hasn't sent us into battle unarmed. We are blessed with spiritual weapons as we engage in this struggle. You heard at the beginning of the service the reading from Ephesians 6. The whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because you're going to need it. You need it every day when you walk out of your house. You need it every day if you don't walk out of your house. You need that breastplate of righteousness that he talks about. Uh, You need the equipment of the gospel of peace. You need the shield of faith. You need the belt of truth. You need the helmet of salvation. You need the sword of the Spirit. And you need to be, as Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's what Daniel was doing. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Why? Because you've got to have God's help in this war. And if you don't, There's no hope. Praying at all times in the Spirit. How can we hope to win spiritual warfare if we aren't people of prayer? I mentioned this several weeks ago, but I think Daniel would have understood perfectly a scripture that we often pass over lightly. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all then, Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives, godly and respectful in every way. We're supposed to be praying about the world. We're supposed to be praying about its leaders. We're supposed to be praying about its people. Why? So that we can lead the lives to which God has called us in a quiet and peaceable way. Now, if we don't have that peace and quiet, we have to lead those lives anyway. But we should be praying that God will bless us with peace. Do you suppose that much of the craziness that we're experiencing in our society right now might just be due to the fact that God's people aren't interceding in prayer? the way that Daniel did? Could it be that we could actually change things? You know, it's interesting to me that we live in a a society now where people say that we could change the future of mankind by if we could control the flatulence in cows. (laughs) But they mock at the idea that we could control, can change the future of the world by praying to the God who made it. We're supposed to be praying for Peace in all things. It's not just a nice thing to do. It's crucial that we do it. Don't just sit back and complain about the state of the world. Get in there and mix it up. Get in there and mix it up in prayer. Get in there and mix it up in supplication. Ask for God's blessing. Daniel provides the perfect pattern. And never forget one thing. No matter how crazy the world 
no matter how hard the struggle, no matter how much suffering might come, God is still in control. That's what Daniel keeps saying. His people may be captive, but he's still in control. There may be a terrible king on the throne, but God will bring him down. God still rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. It's going to get rough, Daniel says. That's what the messenger tells him. And there's no mistaking that. But as the rest of the book of Daniel makes clear, God will be with us through all of it. And he'll see to it that we make it through by the power of the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ, and the power of his spirit. There may be times when, like Daniel, we tremble with fear. There may be times when we faint from exhaustion, just as Daniel did. But we will, by God's grace and his power, be glorious and victorious in the end. Not because of us, but because of what Christ has done for us. What he's done for the whole world, he's done for you. And he wants you to follow him. And if you're ready to do that today, to confess him, be baptized into a relationship with him, and to live in his service, we urge you to come right now. Let's